0: Good morning, everybody. I have to apologize. I, I made a mistake earlier. I announced that uh, November 20th is, a Sunday, or is the Sunday before Easter. It's not Easter. I know that. It's Thanksgiving, okay? <laughs> Goodness, yeah. Somebody came up to me. They're like, Pastor, you said uh, Sunday before Easter. And I was like, listen, friend, every Sunday is Easter because we always celebrate the resurrected Savior in this church. All right? So I just Jesus-juked them, and it was great. <laughs> All right, so... The Creed, What We Believe. Man, I've really enjoyed this series. Uh, Man, let me just start off and say... It, it, it caused me to, to kind of get a little nervous when we we're talking about the Creed because I'm like man I don't I don't want our church listen I, I love every every dynamic of the body of Christ I love that that man we can go to a different church and they, and they and they may not worship like us they may not dress like us they may appear differently but they still if they're preaching Jesus they are part of the body of Christ I love the the vibrancy and the richness and the and the variety there is in the body of Christ it is beautiful that we can go in a different country or Right now and worship the same Jesus in a different language and' it's, it's the same church I love that I love that but my my hesitation about this series is uh, I mean I, I've been a part of churches that that are really really big into creeds and, and oftentimes it, they, they may be deep in theology but oftentimes it just feels a little like you're just you're just talking about someone it's not someone you know you're just talking about and you're sharing facts and, and you're displaying truths I am so thankful friends you have no idea been able to talk to other pastors and and tell them that we're in this series called the Apostles Creed and they're like oh no right I'm like no no listen it has been great in fact during this series we've had uh, two uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit we've had a tongues and interpretation on two different occasions in the midst of a series on the Apostles Creed so I'm just like going like hey this is this is great we can go deep and, and in theological truth but we can also go deep in the presence of God and I'm thankful to be a part of a church where we say hey It's not either or, it's both and. We can be a a deep church, amen? In fact, we had a, a friend in our church... Recently, who's been coming to this to this church and and hearing this series and, and the week that I talked about? Uh, do you remember when I talked about modalism and, and the Trinity and how how that has been a a pretty defensible and, and locked airlock tight uh, position that the church has held for over fifteen or o- over eighteen hundred years now? Like it, it's just been locked down tight and and how I shared the story about where we get Saint Nicholas from Santa and and how he how he slapped Arius for 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 teaching what was called modalism or Arianism at the time where you know Jesus is not fully God and he's not fully human he was just God like there was no humanity to him or that 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 God uh was was God the father and then when he came to the earth he became God the son and then when he died he became God the Holy Spirit that's called modalism well I had a friend recently say while he was at at Walmart shopping at Walmart an individual came up to him and said hey do you know Jesus and he looks at him and says yeah, I I know Jesus. He's like, do you know God? And he's like, one and the same, but yes, right? Uh, He's like, well, do you know Mother God? And he's like, Oh, do tell. Right? Like He's like, uh, oh, what, what do you mean? And they start talking about, obviously, we don't believe in Mother God. We, we don't say that. But, but he goes on and he shares all these different things. And he ends up talking about that very, that very position that we talked about, how, how Arius once taught that, that God was God the Father. Then he became God the Son and then became God the Holy Spirit. And he's like, I actually think that's called modalism. That's a heresy. And Santa slapped a guy for saying that, right? So, so, I mean, it's just, it's just been really cool that in this series we've been able to, to talk about church history and, and come to the conclusion and to the re- realization that our history didn't start when our church was planted in 1924. Our history as a church did not start when the Assemblies of God was founded in the early 1900s or at the Azusa Street Revival. Our history did not start when Martin Luther nailed on, the, on that church door the, 15, uh, the 95 Theses in, in the 1500s. Our church history actually starts the day the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and we have a long rich history and we are proud to say that in the early 200s that God allowed the church to say oh hey this is our common belief this is our belief system these are the the truths that we hold and, and we and we ascribe to and that if anybody considers themselves a part of the body of Christ this is the bottom line this is where we hold the fort. this is where we do not move from these are our non-negotiables so we are proud to Say that the Apostles' Creed is something that we believe in. We we are proud to say that the Apostles' Creed is the oldest and most widely accepted Christian teaching in church history, and that you and I, as believers of Jesus and as members of Zayic Church, we stand in a long, rich, vast history of men and women who came before us who held to the same truths. That the Apostles' Creed is the oldest and most widely accepted Christian teaching in history. We also know this. I've been saying this every single week, and I'll continue saying until the ser- series is done. The creed reflects Scripture, but it is not equal with Scripture. We are not the type of individuals that, that say our creeds are, are on equal setting or equal footing as Scripture. No, no, we say this. That the creeds that we hold to, they are all derived from Scripture. That Scripture is the Word of God. And that these creeds are just teachings and sayings that come from the Word of God that we hold on to. In the same way that the the moon doesn't have its own glory, just reflects the glory of the sun, we say that the creed does not have its own glory, its own authority, except it reflects the authority of the Word of God. Amen? So let's do what we've been doing every single week. Let's stand together and let's read the creed and, and say and profess the creed together. And if you are saying, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm not a Christian and this is kind of, you know, uncomfortable for me, just, just stand. You don't have to read it, but just stand. All right, let's read this together. It says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Now again, I've been alluding to this every single week. We already had our discussion about He descended to hell, and I hope it brought clarity to everybody last week. Uh, if, if you're a little confused or if, if that's something you're just like, oh, I'm still wrestling with, go back and, and, and watch that message. Uh, feel free to email me. I actually had someone ask me, like, hey, Pastor, could you could you bring more clarity? And I was able to give all the sites and all the sources, and it was just a, a, great, a great interaction there. Uh, when we say we believe in the Catholic Church, uh, we are not saying the Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic is a word that, does, that, that means universal. We believe that there is one body of Christ. We're actually going to talk about that uh, next week. Uh, so today we are now in week six. Last week's message and this week's message is kind of a, 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 a launch pad for today's message. Remember last week we talked about the two sides of Christ's redemption. How, man, Every, every story that you've ever loved, every, every story in human history that has just gripped your heart, like um, right now I finished the Rings of Power, so I'm watching the Lord of the Rings, director's cuts, anything less is not even worth your time. So if you don't have three hours to just sit there and enjoy a masterful presentation, don't even start it, okay? Uh, so I'm, I'm watching these, and it just keeps reminding me of how every single story that we find beautiful is only because you and I, have been designed by a creator to enjoy the most beautiful story ever told. In fact, that story is not just a story, it's no fable, it's reality. That there is a God, that there is Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, who came to this earth in the flesh, both fully God and fully man, that was crucified, that was raised upon a cross to die for the sins of the world, that upon that cross, the author, the perfecter of life tasted death that he physically died. He didn't swoon on the cross. He didn't faint. He was dead. Jesus died. The author of life died and was buried. And upon his burial, we know that in the tomb that he was there for three days, he wasn't just inanimate. We know that in those three days, he descended to hell. He descended to grave. And remember, we talked about hell having two understandings, Gehenna and Hades. He did not go to the place of punishment and torment to to finish paying for the sins of of, of all humanity. No, we do not believe that. We We don't believe the Bible teaches that. The Bible does not teach that. We believe that he went to the place where dead people go. He descended to hell. So not only did Jesus experience death like you and I will someday experience death, but the Son of God, the author of life, tasted every aspect of humanity He even knows what it is and what it feels like to be dead. But three days later... This is side A of Christ's redemption. Side B, it it almost mirrors beautifully. So he descends to hell. Here, if he was buried here, he resurrected. He came back to life. The the Lord, the the Holy Spirit uh, raised Christ from the dead. He came back and he he showed himself to be alive. So if he died here, he was shown to be alive. Then, if he was crucified, raised on a cross here on side A, in side B, he he ascended. He was raised from the earth. He ascended and now, if this is the descent to hell, he now ascended and reigns in heaven. Jesus is king. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And today, in our, in our conversation today, in the message today, we're talking about, listen, we're not preaching the creed, but we're talking about the creed. It says here, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. The interesting and the unique thing about this part of, a, of the creed is this is where we see a transition from past, present, and future. Everything else we previously discussed was all about the past. That Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe in God the Father Almighty. uh, That that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. All past tense. That he he died. That he uh, descended into the grave. That he resurrected. That he alive. That he ascended. It was all past tense. But here is the transition where we see him go from past to present to future. Right now... Jesus, some people are like, he's in my heart, right? Like, yeah, he's also seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And, and I know in, in our culture, to sit at someone's right hand really means nothing. It just means like, hey, as long as you're not lefty and I'm not righty, we're going to be okay, right? Uh, but what it means to be seated at the right hand of of the Father means that Jesus has the exact same authority that God the Father has, that every judgment, every word, every, everything that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is the exact same authority of the Father. Amen. Jesus is the authority of God. His, His word is powerful. Jesus is both, and we're going to talk about this today, he is both king and judge, king and judge. Everybody say king. Say judge. There's a lot of caricatures of of both of those, of what a king looks like, of what a judge looks like, right? Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown, Judge Mathis, like like all these daytime TV judges. Today we are going to talk about Jesus being both king and judge. The first thing I want us to know, I'm going to give you all the points that we're going to discuss today, and then we're going to break these down, is that Jesus is king and judge. He is the ascended king, He is the seated king, and he is the soon-coming judge. He is the ascended king, he is the seated king, and he is the soon-coming judge. So let's unpack that. Let's look at the first one. Jesus is the ascended king. What is he doing on the throne right now? Oh, well, there's a list of things, but I wanted to bring two of the, of the main ones. This isn't a, a conclusive or an exhaustive list. This isn't everything that the ascended king does, but these are the, 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 the main, the broad strokes. He is preparing a place. Jesus is preparing a place, and he is also displaying patience. He's preparing a place, and he's displaying patience. Let's talk about the place. Jesus is preparing a place, the ascended king. The one who now sits at the right hand of God the Father, the one who everything was created for, that every power, every principality will one day submit and say Jesus is Lord and bend its knee to him as Lord. Like there is coming a day where that will happen. It's already, well, I mean, we almost talk about this kingdom with, with two realities where, where it's, it's, it's already here and also not yet. So when we talk about Jesus, there is coming a day where that will be fully consummated and his kingdom will be, will be fully inaugurated. But we can live as if it's already happened because God's not a liar. And that's good. So let's talk about him preparing a place. The ascended king is preparing a place. Let's read this together. or uh, Let me read this to you. It says here, my father's house, this is Jesus speaking, has many rooms. Right? You can sing the song if, you, if you'd like. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. All right. Oh, the TV turned off. It was a horrible song. Okay. Gosh. Goodness. I'm never singing again, right? All right. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. Jesus right now, is preparing a place. Do, do you realize that? That the moment you gave your life to Jesus, the moment you con- confessed your sins and said, Jesus, you're Lord and Savior. I'm, I'm turning from my past, and I'm, and I'm looking to you as my future. You are my everything. Jesus, I, you are my Lord. You are my master. You are my king. You are my Savior. The moment you made that confession... God was preparing a place. Jesus is preparing for our arrival. He's not some king who is just slouched in a chair, just, just falling asleep because things are. No, no, he is, he is preparing a place for his people. Does anybody ever watch the show Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanne Gaines? like just some of my friends, anybody, anybody, no, okay, okay, there's a few, there's a few of you, we could talk after church, like I just, Katie and I, we love Chip and JoJo, like we have, we have a dream to go to Magnolia Farms, and just like camp out, and sleep there, until they kick us off the property, right, like like that, we, we love that place, uh, actually, Joanne Gaines was born in Wichita, Kansas, that, yeah, I bet you didn't know that, I just found out yesterday, uh, so Joanna Gaines was born in Kansas, and, and that's kind of probably why I love Kansas, because it's a little bit of, it's a, it's a pre-Magnolia, all right? So um, we watch the show together, and there's times when I'm, when I'm watching this, and uh, do, you, do, you, do you know the part, like, she does a great job, like, they do a montage, and she's just, like, putting little towels on hooks like and she's just like looking at them and just like staring at them and just shifts them and, and it's just like music is happening in the background and she's, and she's making sure everything is perfect and meticulous like they completely gutted a house that you were just like hey that's a nice house it looks like my house I like that house and then they completely gut your house and you're just like I hate my house right like, like and, and she's just like moving towels and she's, and she's putting little ferns and she's just spritzing them with water and like everything is, is being prepared and perfect all for this person who, who they've been doing this for to arrive and to see the unveiling and and most often than not the person shows up and they're like oh my wow they're just like they're just like this is beautiful this is crazy and they're looking at everything and every every archway and every shiplap I bet you didn't know I knew what shiplap was but I do right they look at all these different things and they're just like wow and they're just they're just they're, they're weeping the last couple of weeks Kate and I were watching this and I don't know why but I started crying a little bit and I told Katie, Katie, I'm not a sentimental person, like, like I, I don't, I'm Hispanic, and that's as sentimental as I get, but, like, I don't cry for silly things, and I'm just like, why, why, why am I crying? And I instantly, I knew, like, I was trying to hide it from my wife, you ever have those moments where you're just trying to hide it, and you're just like, I'm not crying, there's like onions being cut in the corner somewhere, right? Like, your, ba- your breath is bad, right? Like, you just turn it into an insult because you're insecure, so, so I, that, that's what I was trying to do, and I just was like, why, why am I, why am I getting emotional? Watching this just unveiling. And the Lord just reminded me. It's because the idea of someone coming home to a place that's been prepared for them. It echoes in our hearts. You and I long for a home. You and I long for a place to call ours. You and I long to to go to a place that a king has prepared for his children. So I'm watching this, and I'm just moved, and I'm like, Lord, it's, it's because I, I look forward. I, I'm, I'm content with the mission at hand, Lord, and I got work to do, and I got a family to raise, and I got a church to lead, and Lord, I love what I'm doing, but, but deep down inside, it's all for the purpose of, of coming home to the place you've prepared, to the place that you are preparing. Jesus is our ascended king who is preparing a place. Secondly, Jesus as he is sitting on his throne, is not doing so lackadaisically. He's not just like, oh, man. Oh, God, just tell me the hour and then I'll go, right? Like, let me know when it's time to go, God. No, no, what what is he doing? Jesus has delayed his coming. The God has delayed the coming of Jesus because he is being patient. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we also say, Lord, thank you for your patience. Why is he being patient? Look, look what Paul or Peter says to the to the Roman hearers. He says, "This, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you." I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. God wants you to, to think rightly about him. He's, he's stimulating you to think wholesomely, to, to think the right things when it comes and pertains to God. Right? The word wholesome there in the Greek is not like like pure or moral. The word wholesome in the Greek literally means to, to stand in the rays of the sun and see everything exposed as it should be exposed. God wants us to see the things that he has exposed and to see them rightly. He doesn't want us to think wrongly about who he is. He's given us his word so that we know the truth about God. So Peter is saying this. I've written both of my letters as reminders to to stimulate you to thinking rightly, to wholesome thinking. Verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, friends, we are in the last days. These are the last days. In fact, the last days started the moment Jesus ascended into heaven. That, that, that initiated and kick-started the last days. We have been in the last days, but I'm telling you, the day is closer than it was yesterday. We are in the last days. This is the, the, the fourth quarter. It's the final hour. Like, it's time to go. He says this, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Maybe you scoffed when I said we are in the last days. You're like, pfft. Heard that one before. Pastor, do you want a sign, right? Repent now for the, the end is near, right? Like, like, scoffers will come. And what do scoffers do? Scoffing. Scoffers will come scoffing. I love that Paul, Peter said that. It's, it's obvious, but you need to be clear. Scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, yeah, where, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, ever since... Grandpa Joe died. Everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation. You guys say Jesus is coming, but it's all a myth, a bunch of lies, things that the government has used to manipulate you and to try to keep you down and make you a bunch of sheep, right? It's what they say. But here's what Peter says, verse 9. The, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And it's a singular there. There is one promise he's talking about. The the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. What's this promise? He's coming soon. He's not slow in keeping that promise. As some understand slowness, instead, he is patient with you. Why has Jesus delayed his coming? Why has the trumpet not sound? Why has Jesus not appeared for every eye to see him? Is because he still desires for you to get saved. His heart is for you. And some of you are like, well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't allow bad things to happen to me. Listen, friends, God is so concerned with your salvation that he's willing for you to endure difficult moments. I've I've oftentimes said that God is far more concerned with your eternal joy than he is with your temporal happiness. God wants you to get saved. I'm not just saying come to church because saved people do go to church. We already know the word tells us that there are people who go to church that may not be saved. God wants you to get saved. And I saw a spouse slap a husband and I'm trying not to laugh. He does. Why is he delaying his coming? Because he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. Friends, there is a popular teaching going around. It's been going around since probably the 1960s that there is no hell. That or, 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 or annihilationism, this, this belief that, that hell is just a, uh, a temporal experience and that uh, like, like a candle being burnt, uh, it eventually goes out or, or, or that, that hell is, is uh, restorative, meaning that, that you go there to pay for some wrongs and eventually you, you make your way back to heaven. Can, can I say that there is, there is no scriptural backing for any of those beliefs? Hell is everlasting. Hell is a reality. Well, what kind of, what kind of God, what kind of good God creates hell? We're gonna talk about that here when we get to matthew 24 and 25 so we know this jesus the ascended king is preparing a place he is displaying patience and he is a seated king jesus is a seated king he's not lazy but he is inter- an interceding priest he is not aloof like oh what's going on in the world no no, no. he is passionate defender so this idea of Jesus being seated on the throne is actually a term of, of power and authority, not one of, I'm going to take a back seat to what's happening. He is an interceding priest, and he is a passionate defender. Look how he intercedes. In verse uh, 23 through 25 of Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews chapter 7. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. He's talking about those priests being those who who go before God and offer up sacrifice once a year for the forgiveness of their sins and the sins of of Israel. He says that there have been many of those priests, the writer of Hebrews says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to what? Intercede for them. That means this, when we fail, when we sin, when we fall short of the glory of God, even as Christians, and the Bible already tells us, even as Christians, if we say we are without sin, we are, call, we are a liar and we are calling God a liar. So please don't ever walk around as if you don't sin and you're just like, oh yeah, that's, that's beneath me. No, 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 listen, let's be real about sin. It's prevalent, it's pervasive, and we need to uproot it in our lives. But he says this, he lives to intercede for them. What is he doing on the throne at the right hand of God as he's seated there? He's interceding on our behalf. That means he's going to the Father and righting the wrongs and blotting them out. And we know he's done that on the cross. He's sending us help. He's He's, he's sending us his Holy Spirit. What is he doing? He's interceding on our behalf. Do you realize right now God is praying for you? I mean, isn't that, isn't that a crazy thing to think about, that that Jesus right now has a will for us, a desire for us, that he sends angels, and he, like we truly believe that. He intercedes. Secondly, he defends. Look what happens in Acts chapter 7. In Acts 7, we, we meet a guy by the name of Stephen, the first one who was martyred, who died for the faith. The first person in the church who died for his faith in Christ. Uh, we, we see that upon, his, upon his, um, his, his death, there is a revelation of the throne of God. Look what it says in Acts chapter 7, verse, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, meaning the, the, the sermon Stephen just preached, he basically just told them Jesus is Lord you guys killed him. That's, that's basically the, the, the totality of his message. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven as they were stoning him and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Not sitting, standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand hand of God. Now, royalty only stands from their throne for one of two reasons, out of anger, and we see this in the Old Testament quite a bit, or out of honor. We believe Jesus was doing both. Do you know this? As believers, when we go through injustices and experiences and that, 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 that are not the desires of God for our lives, when someone in accident, an action of injustice, or maybe you are wrongfully terminated, or maybe you are abused, or maybe you are verbally assaulted for being a follower of Jesus. And, 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 and those days are going to come more and more, friends. It's just what the word tells us. But when you do that, do you realize you have a king who has assumed a throne that is standing in your defense? And is also honoring you as you stand up for him. Jesus is defensive of his bride. You remember when Paul was saved on on the road to Damascus? And and Paul was persecuting the church at the time. He was called Saul also. But Saul was persecuting the church at the time. And, And the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? An attack on the church is an attack on Jesus. So when Jesus is sitting on the throne, he's interceding and he is defending. And third, we end with this, he is the soon coming judge. Look what it says in Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person... The word there, repay, could also mean reward. He will repay or reward each person according to what he or she has done. Listen, church. We need to be ready for the coming of our King. He's coming. And these moments, these moments where we think we can just idly sit by and not be active or take a back seat. Listen, Jesus is coming. And his desire is for all of us to not be afraid of that reality, but to stand up with the power and the tools that he's given us and do the work, the mission that he's called us to. He's coming. Jesus is coming again, not as an innocent baby, but as a righteous Judge, every Christmas we celebrate this, right? Where we have like a little manger, a little two out, two pounds, six ounce, a little baby Jesus, right? Like, or six pounds, whatever ounce. Like, and we're just like, oh, baby Jesus, right? We talk about this and we're excited for this. And I love Christmas. Our kids, we love Christmas in our house. We, we talk about Santa slapping Arius in our house, right? Um, it's a great time. But he's coming again and it's not gonna be as an innocent baby swaddled in a manger. He's coming again. He's going to be riding a white horse. He's going to be a sword in his hand. He's going to have the words, Lord of lords, king of kings, tattooed on his thighs. It's literally in the Bible. Look it up. But he's coming back. It's probably not going to be tattooed. But he's coming back as king. He's coming back as a righteous judge. Look what Jesus says about this. Verse 20, verse 36, he says, But about the day or hour No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Verse 43, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. There was many times in Scripture where people ask Jesus, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And did you know He always answers that question, when, with, it's not for you to know, just be ready. Now, I, I actually wrote down a date when I think Jesus will come. Let me, let me pull up my calendar. Um, that date is soon. I scared you for a second. You're like, oh no. He's coming soon, guys. Jesus is coming soon. And man, I want us to be ready. I've got one mission in life aside from being the husband that God wants me to be and the dad he wants me to be. My mission is to make sure that the bride of Christ is ready, a pure, spotless bride for the soon coming King. Guys, we need to be ready. And what does that mean? That means we live every day with intentionality. Where will you be when the trumpet sounds? It was a song that I remember my church used to sing when i I just gotten saved. Where will you be? What will you be doing? I, I, I hope and pray. In fact, uh, I recently read a book that was talking about this the coming of Christ and the author talks about he's like man I hope I'm out at Disney World right like and this is before Disney was Disney as it is today he's like I hope I'm out at Disney World and then he later on goes on to say he's like there's nothing wrong with Disney no matter what I'm doing I hope I'm I'm glorifying God are are you glorifying God are you living as if every day our king who is currently sitting on his throne who is defending us and who's interceding for us or are you living as if every day this King will finally arise and arrive at His second coming? My prayer is that you are. Look what it says in Matthew twenty-five, verse thirty-one: When the Son of Man comes in all His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. What is God going to do when He arrives? Is He just going to be like, "Hey guys, I'm here." see you later no like there there is a purpose to his coming look what it happens he judges and some of you like oh what kind of god judges the same god who paid for the penalty of all of our sins who is trying and who will completely restore his creation do you realize that that you only exist because of god that he is the one who gave you the breath that's in your lungs so this idea of like what kind of god would it's like dude you are breathing his air you're borrowing his time where do you get off it's like if my kids were like well dad how how dare you go in my room it's like are you kidding me i've given you this house this room is not this is mine so I, I, i i just man i'm in our culture we try to tiptoe around this this reality that god is god he's creator he's king all authority belongs to him and I'm not trying to be mean or angry. I'm just trying to like remove this veil that we've, we've kind of allowed to fall over our faces where we, we think we can be like, oh God, what kind of God would do this like God. And, and guess what? He is way greater and he's holy and he's righteous and he's just. And some people like they get frustrated and offended and bent out of shape out of this justice of God to which I say, can, can I just be honest? just objectively speaking, we. Are the most privileged generation in human history. And it is a privileged people. In fact, I wrote this because I didn't want to mess this up. It is a retribution, sounds painful for a people steeped in privilege. But for those among us, those in the church, who are drowning in darkness, those who've been beheaded for following after Jesus, those who've been kicked out of homes who can't buy, sell, trade, currently in in about 36 different nations around the world, those who are drowning in darkness, retributive justice eases pain, offers hope, and builds otherworldly perseverance. The fact that I don't have to defend myself because a defender is coming who will vanquish every evil and right every wrong is actually hopeful. But for those of us, myself included, who are steeped in privilege, which we are, we all are, and this, I'm not talking about white privilege, let's talk about Western privilege. We're so blessed. And for us to get bent out of shape, out of of a God who is going to come back to his creation and right every wrong and who has given us ample time over 2,000 years of getting things right and, and just submitting ourselves right now and saying, Jesus, you're king, not me, not the passions of my flesh, not my desires, but your king. That is a good God. Let's get real for a moment. I'm sick of evangelicals trying to soften the edges of of that truth. He is way better than anything you could ever imagine. But he is a holy and just God. And he's given us time. And he's given us the truth and the roadmap to make things right. And not only that, he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us, to please him. He has tipped the scales entirely in our favor. So how dare we? Get upset. Now, I'm not saying you you shouldn't like get real with God and have honest conversations. But if you're not looking at the reality that God is good and that He loves you and that He cares for you and that He hasn't come, He's delayed His arrival because He wants you to get saved. But we're so steeped in our culture and our fleeting entertainment that's here today, gone tomorrow and the morals that are based on this earth that are going to change the next day, next week, next month. But God has given us authority that is deeply rooted, that has not changed. And His desire is that you and I, friends, would recognize He is the seated King. He is the ascended King. And He is the soon coming judge. All around this place, can we stand together? I love you. I love being your pastor. And in the same way, a good doctor wouldn't mince the results of a possible disease that can take your life. Nobody would call a doctor good if he came in and and lied to you about the reality of your condition. And why would you ever want a, a preacher or a pastor to lie to you about the condition of your soul? Friends, we need Jesus, He's so good and he's a soon-coming king. And hell is a reality. Hell wasn't created for you. It was created for Satan and the angels, that rejected God at creation or soon after creation before the creation of, of Adam. and we, That's a different conversation that we can have another time. But it wasn't created for humanity. But God, God is willing to give all of us the decision to say, am I going to follow after you, God, and your will and your desires or am I going to follow after Satan's? He's given you the choice this morning. Who are you going to follow after? And some of you have been misled to believe that that all roads lead to heaven. Listen, friends, that's not. There's nowhere in Scripture that believes that. Universalism, there's nowhere in Scripture that, that confesses that. But there is one way. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and none can come to the Father but by him every eye closed every head bowed I know this is a a heavier service but it is only because we want to take this moment serious some of you have been coming to church or maybe you've been brought here and listen I love you I care about you the decision I'm going to ask you to make and and wrestle with is one that we've all had to We had to ask the same question of ourselves. All of us are born sinners, fallen short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. Nobody was born right. We all were born with a desire and an inclination towards sin. So my question this morning, this afternoon is this. Do you know Jesus? as your Lord and Savior? And do you live for him? Not just on Sundays, I'm not asking if you go to church, I'm saying, do you live for Jesus and are you ready for his return? Are you spending your life in the moments that you have or are you wasting it, satisfying your own needs and your own desires or are you spending it for his glory? every eye closed, every head bowed, if you would say and make this confession and say, Pastor, you know what? I, I, need, I need to live for Jesus. I need to. I may have gone to church, but I, I, I need to live for Jesus. If that's your heart, would you just lift up your hand so I know who to pray for in this moment? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, thank you so much. And if you would say this morning, Pastor, I, I love Jesus. He's my Lord. He is my Savior. But I want more of his strength to live for his soon coming arrival. If that's your heart, if you're just saying, I just want more of Jesus, go ahead and lift up your hand. Thank you, God. Hands all over. Thank you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Let's stand and let's, let's pray this together right now. Jesus, I need you. I need your strength. I need your power. I need your grace. And I need your Holy Spirit to lead the life you've called me to lead. Help me, God, to serve you, to love you, and to be ready for your arrival. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Amen. Guys, let's sing this together.